And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's going on? Welcome back to Spin Rate, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and yes, we're talking about your Toronto Blue Jays, who are now, some of them anyway, home and cooled at the All-Star break. Although it seems like half the roster is there in L.A. at the All-Star game. It's been a wild first half on top of all that stuff. Huge news in Blue Jays land. And I can't think of anyone else who's better to talk to about it. She covers the Blue Jays for The Athletic. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? Um, <clears throat> pretty tired. <laughs> Pretty, pretty tired. I understand. I know. I know you're pretty. I can imagine you're pretty tired. Like I said, huge news, big event this week in Blue Jays land. Of course, I'm talking about Jules the lawyer throwing out the first pitch on Sunday. The biggest news in Blue Jays. No, it was easily. It was Saturday. It was a Saturday. Oh, Saturday. Okay, fair enough. Saturday, Jules the lawyer threw out the first pitch. I only saw her TikTok today. Uh, it was so kind of her to autograph the ball for a well-meaning uh, young Blue Jay. Uh, huge, huge news. No, but seriously, Blue Jays played a crazy series against the Royals, winning three of four against a depleted but invigorated Royals roster. Uh, the draft was on Sunday night, which is an inexplicable choice. And then there's the home run derby in the All-Star game yet to come, as well as breaking in a new manager. John Schneider took the helm of the good ship Blue Jay and steered them forward and ahead. So let's start with that, Caitlin. What did you see from new Blue Jays manager, John Schneider, in this series against the Omaha Storm Chasers slash, slash Kansas City Royals? Um, yeah, I mean, I think John Schneider um, is definitely like a different personality um, at the top of the Blue Jays. Um, he's uh, definitely more, you know, like... I don't know, outgoing, I guess would be the word to put it. Um, he's definitely very comfortable with a lot of players because he just kind of has known them a long, long time. Um, definitely the core of the player. So definitely just like a different voice. Um, and he's kind of laid it out maybe on the first day, uh, first day or so that he took over. He's definitely a more aggressive manager. Um, I think we saw some of that, um, you know, early on, I think even in that Phillies game, which would have been his first, um, the, was it eight, two, um, there was some hit and runs that he was, um, using obviously, um, I, you know, I thought that, uh, the base running was probably more aggressive, um, not didn't work. Um, it didn't work <laughs> some of the times, but, uh, he, you know, definitely uh, sh- kind of showed his hand there. Well, he'll, he'll obviously be more aggressive. The one I'm thinking of is when, and it didn't work, and it could have been a disaster, honestly, when they pinch hit run for, um, or pinch run, sorry, uh, for Kirk in the seventh inning. Um, and then Zimmer 
you know, unfortunately got picked off right away, which is like the like worst case scenario that you can do in that situation. <laughs> and it didn't end up like it could have ended up hurting them because then when it was the extra innings, the top of the order came up and Kirk's bat, you know, could have come up in a really timely spot. And like it did, but um, it wasn't sort of like a two out situation or anything like that. They were kind of stringing hits together um, there in the 10th and Tapia pinch hit um, and uh, kept the line going there with an RBI single for himself, which I think was the game tying um, hit. Uh, and then they ended up winning that game. So it didn't burn them, um, but certainly you're seeing him be aggressive with those types of moves. I also thought maybe the starting pitching were going, was it going a little deeper? I'm like reluctant to say that because I feel like a lot of those decisions were collaborative um, with Pete and uh, the team and Charlie when he was at the helm. So um, I'm going to need to see like more data. I think, I think the thing that was telling was maybe Ross Stripling um, going pretty deep, a lot deeper than he normally had. To be honest, that first game though, I was busy writing and reporting out the firing. So I didn't really keep a close eye on the Ross Stripling start, but I know he did go deeper um, in that one than he typically has. And I think that was just because he was like really fooling um, the Phillies and he was pitching really well. Mm -hmm. So it's like the game dictated that, but um, the bullpen has made John Schneider look really good too. I think. Um, and this entire homestand, they only allowed two earned runs. Um, and, you know, good guys, guys have looked really good lately. Um, guys that you were uh, hoping to rely on, you know, Trevor I'm Richards, Tim Aza. And, and Jimmy Garcia, I, I really yeah. feel like you're selling him John Schneider short. Um, because John Schneider obviously knew that if he gave Jimmy Garcia um, four days rest, he'd come up throwing 98 miles an hour. <laughs> Actually, but but I think there was a point made on the on the on the broadcast and and might be worthy of uh, further examination, which was they sent he sent Garcia back out for a second inning, which yeah. is something he's only ever done like two or three times in his career. And he had been so efficient in the first inning against that uh, against the Royals lineup, and he and he he looked great in the process. But yeah, good performance makes everybody look smart. Mm-hmm. Yep, and like I think that was I remember asking Schneider after the game about Garcia, and he said like the reason they could get six outs from him was because of how efficient he was in the first mm-hmm. inning, which I think he threw like something like ten pitches or so. Um, so obviously, mm-hmm. when you do that. Um, you can go out for, you know, three more, three more outs. And, you know, like it, that Saturday game could have gone completely the opposite way. Obviously Jordan Romano came out on his hat day. Um, the day he threw to his sister, his famous sister, um, gave up the home run. <laughs> um, I don't know, but like it, I, this is just off the top of my head and I haven't, and I'm just remembering like one or two other times maybe, but it feels like when Jordan Romano gives up a home run, they always come back and win. It's like a weird, like good luck for them where they, if Jordan Romano like gives up a tying home run or something, they come back and win. I know they did it against Oakland in that epic comeback last year. And I feel like they did it one other time. There was some crazy stat that I saw about Jordan Romano and I'm just going to confirm it, but it was basically like he's pitched in the 10th inning like nine times and he's allowed eight runs or something weird like that. He's just really had a difficult time. I mean, the way that the minor league or sorry, the way that the, the extra innings rule works now is just so odd. Yeah. And it's just like, everything is so stacked. Cause he gave up 
one hit and allowed two runs, like, but he didn't walk anybody. None of that stuff. I don't know. He just, I, I mean, it wasn't a, it was a bit of bad luck that it stayed fair. Yeah. We can look at it in a few different ways, but I mean, I don't, obviously Jordan Romano was not a source of concern at the stand. All-star. All-star. All-star Jordan Romano. In extra innings this year, Jordan Romano has uh, allowed uh, has allowed an OPS of 1,058. And in the ninth inning and the eighth inning, or sorry, the seventh and the ninth inning, he's allowed an OPS of let's like half that. So keep Jordan Romano out of extra innings. He doesn't like, we don't need to have the Dak stack to get against him. But for all the talk about the Blue Jays going out and acquiring a fireballing, hard-throwing right-hander, uh, Jimmy Garcia has looked that part and looked at that part and more even there on Friday. My thing with John Schneider that I'm really interested to see is whether or not the activity on the bases is, is eyewash, whether it's just like, I'm going to set the tone here and then just kind of go back to being the way, like, are we going to see Matt Chapman off and running many more times moving forward? Uh, That, that remains to be seen. Also that I was looking at speed because Lourdes Gurriel got thrown. Oh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Got thrown out trying to steal which is a puzzling thing because Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not a fast runner. He is like mm-hmm. barely above league average. I don't know that I would go as far as say he's a good base runner either. He He's just, you know, he's the Gurriel. Uh, but uh, Matt Chapman is actually quite a speedy little fella there. He little is. Fella guy. He's enormous, I, I noticed sure. sometimes guys with speed can be like sort of deceiving. Like there are certain mm-hmm. guys that are speedy once they get going. Like Tay Oscar, for example, is really mm-hmm. fast when he gets going. But for whatever reason, he's not a very good base stealer. I don't know if it's just like the jumps. I don't know if he kind of needs like some momentum to build the speed or whatever. But, um, you know, I know that he's not the best at stealing bases. Like he's, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, just anecdotally. And it's, um, it's, but whereas like a Matt Chapman type, like he doesn't steal bases, but you see him run the bases. And when he's got momentum, he is really speedy. Like he can, he's a type of guy that, can go like first to third, not, I'm not going to say like easily, but like he can do it. Um, and it's kind of the same, like Kevin Biggio is like, I don't know if he's sneaky fast, but he's certainly like a sneaky, great base stealer. And I, and I think it's probably more to do with his ability to reads and get jumps and stuff like that. He is fast and he is a really good base runner, but he's not like, I don't know that he stands out as like one of the fastest guys, the way that like Zimmer does, where you just know Zimmer's really, really speedy runner. Um, so it's like a combination and it's like the Jays, um, they just, they, they, they don't really have a ton of fast guys necessarily. They have like, Mm-mm. they have like a <laughs> few and then they have the couple guys like Biggio and Bichette stand out to me as guys that are just really good at, um, base running and base stealing, uh, with Biggio being the best, honestly, his success mm-hmm. rate is really, really high. Um, because he knows when to do it and he kind of picks the right spots and he gets good jumps and all these kinds of stuff. Kevin Biggio has been thrown out stealing once in his entire big league career. Yeah. Uh, which is really, really impressive. He's got a 96% success rate. Another uh, thing that Kevin Biggio does really well is take the extra base so far in, you know, relatively limited opportunities. He's taken the extra base 47% of the time, which is like really good, well above average. You know, he scores from um, scores from second on a single, uh, you know, really, you know, as, as one should. Um, he's just a, I don't know. He's a good base runner. It, it goes back to all, which you don't hear quite as much. Uh, I think it was sort of like a, a passive way to kind of 
pump him up a little bit in the early days because he's not as talented as 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 Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So Kevin Biggio was positioned as like the student of the game. He's a real student of the game. He's a real thinker out there. He does his homework, which I don't doubt for one second. But and that probably lends itself a lot to his aggression on the bases and being able to pick his spots and know, you know, time guys up and and just be, you know, know who's got a good arm and get good reads on batted balls and stuff. But so it was all in all a successful weekend. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who's mad the Blue Jays didn't sweep the Royals, but oh, uh, you can't. They're, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. They're mad that they didn't sweep. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, the lack of object permanence. Like, have you watched baseball your whole life and you can somehow forget that like any team can win on any day? Or the fact that the Blue Jays didn't humiliate the Royals is somehow like a, a great failing. They should have won every game 14 to 1. I mean, the thing was like, I, I sort of get it. And like, yes, the Blue Jays had to win this series. I would agree with that. Not just because they they should and they're the better team, but because like they need to start winning series that they should win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, the, also the thing is like the sort of like triple A team. I mean, a lot of the guys that the Royals called up were like sort of like on the cusp of being major mm-hmm. leaguers. It certainly wasn't like they were calling up their like, you know, <laughs> like bottom of the roster, like, uh, they're calling up guys, guys. from their 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 short season A ball team. Like this yeah. guy's got forty professional at bats. Bring him to the show. Yeah. And the reg- the Royals regulars are dog shit. Also, they're the Royals. It's not that much of a downgrade from what's ordinarily be getting run out there. But all in all, a successful weekend. All in all, a successful start to John Schneider's managerial career. We'll be right back with more spin rate. But first, check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We can talk, I think, you know, the Blue Jays player development pipeline and the ability for the Blue Jays to convert guys into big leaguers and really help them pick a big step up, which is kind of, you know, not the people who are looking for reasons to criticize the front office aren't going to want to hear that sort of stuff that the message gets through when, when the team invests in player development, when the team is doing what they do to like, get guys in the in positions to succeed or, or as well as, you know, the Boba Shed example of being like, we aren't going to come in and make you swing our way. We're not going to Cardinals weigh you. You can be you and we'll help you succeed with you being you. So that to me uh, was really interesting and a really um, pretty uh, a strong endorsement of the way that the team is being run right now by uh, from, from folks who were until yesterday outside of the organization. 
Yeah, no, I think, um, like I said, I, I trust Keith Law in these instances. I'm by no means a draft expert and certainly not going to be a draft expert when I had to uh, be at the ballpark at uh, 9.30 a.m. and are finishing <laughs> up writing at 1, 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. Certainly not not having the time to be an updraft expert in that span of time after a very busy week. Um, but uh, yeah, I noticed like Keith Law usually does like a wrap up of um, sort of his like initial thoughts of the draft and then kind of goes and touches on each pick um, and whatnot. And um, he he mentioned the Jays right off the top saying he liked their draft. Um, obviously getting, um, you know, high school pitcher with their first pick, which is pretty risky. They haven't done it since I think 2013. Um, and sometimes those guys don't sign. Um, mm-hmm. Brandon had to co- commit to um, Vanderbilt. So I think there's sort of like an understanding that they would have to go above slot for that because obviously that's a very – good school um so try to lure him but yeah I think overall like what stood out to me um I mean the Tucker Toman stuff is interesting I I you never know what goes on behind the scenes did he want to really sign with the Blue Jays because they were offering him the most money I mean he went at 77 when he was quite a bit higher I think on most sort of like draft boards uh, in terms of the skill set um and so uh was it you know something about them like you mentioned in the way that the story of Bouchette um has been told about how the Blue Jays were sort of willing to let him be himself so maybe there is some of that although there's been so many sort of like scouting changes and um differences at the sort of development level even since Bo Bichette came in the Blue Jays but certainly that might be a mindset for them where they you know if they do like the skill set of some players they are okay um sort of uh, making some concessions there and letting guys, you know, do their thing or whatever. And um, yeah, the thing that stood out to me, I think, was that um, the Blue Jays again, like, went for some upside. I think in the um, getting that, you know, hard throwing left-handed um, high school pitcher. Obviously, it's going to like immediately draw comparisons to um, Ricky Tiedemann, who is obviously the qu- quickest riser, I think, in the Blue Jay system right now, other than like Gabby Moreno, I guess. Um, but, uh, and then the three hitters that they got, um, they all kind of are very different talking to Shane Farrell last night, the scouting director, he kind of highlighted how they think they've gotten three, um, sort of unique, different, um, hitters with each different strengths and skill sets and stuff. I think Toman was more, you know, that power potential, um, is it Josh Kasevich was their second round pitch? Um, and he's got like an insane, um, sort of like plate discipline. Um, I think I just want to like pull up the number here because I think it was something like crazy, like 5.8 strikeout rate Mm -hmm. or like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think Keith law, like had the number of strikeouts. Um, and it was just, you know, pretty, pretty good. Um, I'm just reading some of what Keith law wrote about him, like offers a high floor, um, very good value for a second round pick. Um, and the other thing that was, you know, good for the Blue Jays, and I sort of wrote this in the um, in the setup for the draft, um, like a couple days ago, like a preview, um, is that this was actually a really good, uh, important draft for the Blue Jays to restock because they've, for the last two years or the last two first round picks they've had, they've traded away. Austin Martins in 2020, they traded in the Jose Barrios deal and then on uh, Gunnar Hogland from last year's draft, uh, they traded in the Matt Chapman deal. So they have used their first round picks lately to improve their major league club. And 
it's funny we talked to Shane Farrell like before uh the draft like a couple days ago and someone asked like you take it personally that all your first round picks are getting traded away because Shane Farrell's um only been here since uh 2020 uh so uh he obviously said no and he doesn't take it personally but uh <laughs> but uh yeah so this was a really important for the draft for both the Blue Jays to restock that a little bit and also like make the most of having four picks in the first 80 four picks I think was the like no team had more than four I believe um and so it's very uh it was very important for the Blue Jays to restock also because last year they didn't have a second round pick because they signed George Springer so they lost that um pick because George Springer had been offered a qualifying qualifying offer from the Houston Astros, which he rejected. So the Blue Jays um, got the sort of reverse of that um, this year where because they each offered um, Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray uh, qualifying offers, which they both rejected uh, as they should have. Um, then the Blue Jays got two compensation picks because they both signed elsewhere. So that's why the Blue Jays had those two extra picks. Um and yeah, I think overall it's a really good for first day for them to, uh, you know, get it, get a lot of talent, get basically two extra picks that they wouldn't normally have had. And that sort of makes up for trading away those picks and also losing their second round last year. So um, definitely a, a good day overall. And like I said, I would defer to all Keith Law's um, analysis because this is what he does. Um, but I would just say like he he noted that the Blue Jays had a good day. He liked he liked their picks. I think he liked the way they sort of balance maybe a bit of risk there with the the high school pitcher with some um, more certainty in some of the college bats they got um, and mm. the upside in some of the high school picks as well. Yeah, the the, the second you know, reading really quickly, Eric Long and Hanging of Fangrass talked about. Um, you know, the, with the two high school arms, they are aimed at kind of or looking at guys who would be above uh, slot, right? That's going to typically cost a little bit more to get those guys. And while maybe the the college bats are kind of higher floor, maybe lower ceiling types potentially, they're not like cheapy picks yet, which I mm-hmm. think maybe folks can look forward to on day two of the draft. Uh, here we, you and I, are recording on Monday. Um, maybe that's when they they might go for a few more of the seniors type, the guys that they could get um, at a below slot uh, uh, basis. But, you know, there's, there's, to me, there's a, there's obviously a lot of risk involved in drafting a high school pitcher, but also when a, when the, when not only the players are at least paying lip service to your player development, but also your own belief in being able to develop a high school pitcher arm gives you that ability to go after good talent. And, and as you alluded to kind of maybe if you have a few conversations like, Oh, you want to, you're looking for this much above slot. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Noted, but just going after high ceiling players that suit your organizational philosophy, you know, athleticism, this is something that the Blues have talked so much about and got, you know, players that are athletes and, you know, the rookie team in one is the one that people are going to latch on to prospect watchers. I'm sure a lot of like casual fans don't know who Ricky Tiedemann is, even though he was in the futures game uh, in LA on Sunday, Sunday, Saturday. God only knows when they do that thing. Saturday. Move it around. What a pain in the ass. Um, but that's, that's a huge, that's a huge coup for him and for them to have him playing in a high profile event like that. But um, yeah, it's great. It's great to see the Blue Jays, um, uh, you know, being being aggressive, targeting those kind of players that they know they can help 
to develop and the kind of guys that that can hopefully um, take advantage of what it is the Blue Jays offer young players in terms of the 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 development complex and and the the track record that they've got and was it uh, Barriera made a comment about they play their young guys? That was one of the things. Like he likes that they play their young guys. They move their young guys up through the system. They can be aggressive. So, you know, that's always one of the big challenges with baseball and keeping and retaining contact or uh, talent. I should say is that the time it gets to the big league. So, if you can communicate to your players and potential players that you know if you're good, we'll move you up there. Never a bad thing. So, draft is always exciting. Always a bit of a black box. And, and again, unless you're um, I, I think, and I, as someone who, like you, has kind of fudged their way through many a draft <laughs> coverage season, not I, I, I don't mean to, to dismiss what you do saying fudging, but as someone who who long ago gave up on pretending that I knew anything about any of these guys and and to offer, um, I don't have any takes on, on the picks. Like, I can't believe they didn't take this guy. Uh, whatever, man. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's and, and also can... like most of that is like if you have the first sort of like one, two, or three, there's maybe some certainty there you can maybe. But um, the highest that I've covered the Jays picking was five when they got Austin Martin, which then was kind of a surprise. I think at that year, like the Baltimore Orioles did something unexpected, and then it kind of like all trickled down from there. But certainly, like when they're picking at like you know, 23, I think last year they were picked at 19. It's like so many things have to happen. You, there's no idea. You know, you're never going to know who who they're going to land at that spot. And things always happen. Like last year, it was like Gunnar Hogland had Tommy John. So he kind of dropped and they thought he was like more of a top 10 talent, but they got him at 19. Um, so. If there's, if there's one trend, it's that it's the Blue Jays kind of seeming to grab guys who have, who are well-regarded, but there's some, fly in the ointment at come draft time, be it um, uh, the, the health of the, the Tommy John with Gunnar, Gunnar Hoagland. Uh, and then the, you know, getting Alec Manoa, uh, having Manoa slide down, a, the, a player that a lot of folks had higher on their board. Uh, uh, Austin Martin as well. Again, a guy who they were then able to convert into big league talent um, given what their needs and also their kind of maybe assessment of him up close after a little bit of extra time. So uh, it's a fun and exciting time, but uh, it's, and to your point, which is going to allow us to segue into the next section of the show, which is there was, there is a need and a time, a need to kind of restock a little bit to kind of start to fill up the, the coffers with guys who have high air ceilings. I mean, I have referenced Eric, Eric Logan hanging on, uh, on uh, Fangraphs, who didn't have, you know, none none of the Blue Jays players have a 50 FPV or, or above. They're all 45s and 40s, which is not bad with four picks to kind of really start to restock and and re-supplement the talent because the Blue Jays might need to use some of that talent to go ahead and trade for Juan Soto. Oh, Juan um, Soto. Juan Soto, the contract extension talks between the Washington Nationals and their Little young Ted Williams uh, reincarnate have uh, broken off. So now every single team in baseball has got it in their head that they're oh the fan base anyway that they're going to make a trade for Juan Soto. Um, boy, that does not seem likely to me. Just off the top of my head, I'm just like I cannot see the Blue Jays trading for Juan Soto. That doesn't mean they won't, but I find it hard to see the amount of high end talent that it would take to get Soto as well as taking back Patrick Corbin 
or whatever other onerous contracts. I can't see the the Nats trading Steven Strasburg, like trying to move his money away at Steven Strasburg. He's like kind of one of the best players in their this half of their franchise's history. So, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I almost still have a hard time seeing the Nationals actually go ahead and trade Juan Soto. I know it's out there and like they're going to be listening to offers as they have to. Um, and like it's, you know, it's difficult to see what's going to happen or try to guess what's going to happen because on the one hand, like Juan Soto is a Boris client and Boris typically likes his clients to establish their market um, or, or value, I should say, on the open market um, and, you know, not not sign extensions. And Juan Soto is such a unique situation because of how young he is. Um, and so I still am sort of like wrapping my mind around them actually going ahead. And the other thing is that I wonder if this kind of magnitude of blockbuster trade honestly can come together in what are we like two and a half weeks out from the uh, deadline. Um, these types of huge blockbuster trades, um, I, I mean, they don't typically happen, but if they are to happen, sometimes it's more of an off season type of deal. Um, and there's obviously not like uh, an urgency to trade Juan Soto in the sense that he's still got, a couple seasons until he's a free agent. So it's not like the uh, Blue Jays. um, It's not like the Nationals are like going to lose him at the end of the year. So they don't have to trade him now. Um, It it obviously comes out now because you want to see what you could do. And maybe some desperate team at the deadline would like majorly overpay. I I mean, I don't think you can overpay for Juan Soto, but uh, you probably can never pay enough, honestly. Like I don't... Mm -hmm. That so, but it it sort of makes sense maybe from the team perspective to have that report out there, um, so that you can start seeing seeing what teams would offer. What like what what is even the benchmark? What are teams even thinking? Like it makes sense for the Nationals to want to get that going, but uh, I'm having a hard time um, seeing it all come together in the little time that we have until August second um, deadline. Just knowing like everything that would have to happen and like. Um, you know, are, are the Yankees going to be in a position? Like the Yankees could definitely, well, any team could use Juan Soto, but you know, are, are the Yankees <laughs> going to have enough? Are they going to go completely? I mean, it would make sense for them to go completely all in because they look like they're going to be the favorites to win the World Series. But um, I don't know. Like, uh, but I circling back to the Jays. I mean, we had to sort of we did this assignment for fun, like just sending in a trade. Um, idea and mine was it's not good enough and the reason like is because I I think that Blue Jays would probably you know not want to trade away uh any of their sort of young core stars they're building a team around Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Alec Manoa but I'm not sure that the conversation would even start if one of those guys weren't included now on the one hand would the Nationals even have anything have a reason to need all those guys if they're in a position where they're trading away Juan Soto like there are years and years away from being competitive um so why would they sort of need to trade one 23 year old for another you know um that maybe doesn't make sense uh so even though if you included like the top four Blue Jays prospects uh Moreno, Tiedemann, Groshans, Martinez is that even enough? I nope. threw I threw in Nate Pearson. That's not like no. It's nope. it no. Nope. And it's like 
if you want some major league who toss in whoever you want. And the thing is like, you also have to make it make sense. I was like, maybe throw in Kirk, but it's like, why would the blue Jays be training Kirk and Moreno? It doesn't matter. It like, I don't think I, I have a hard time. Maybe the Dodgers have enough. The Dodgers probably have enough prospects, but it would just be such an insane package of players. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it would change. It wouldn't, it would change. It would set a new like precedent in the sport. Honestly, I think I saw Jeff Passan like tweeting about that or it, it would just, it would be nothing like this sport has ever seen a package for him. And that's why maybe I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around that actually happening because it just seems like, it, 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 it just seems so difficult to imagine a team being able to muster up a package that would be enough. I, I agree very much on almost all, all fronts. I think, I don't think that they need to box themselves in the Washington nationals and say, we need to get this done by the trade deadline because it's too big and trading such a good player is too significant. Yeah. Uh, where this is your shot to re to kickstart your rebuild uh, you put it into high gear because the sick thing is, is that they, for all that they have in Juan Soto and who is 23 years old, they are not close to being good again. I don't think, mm -mm. I think they need, they would need a whole lot. And that is going to be represented by what would come back for Soto as well as putting, sending money along, I think too. I mean, you know, they've everyone's got a budget. The the Nationals, when they were good, they were not afraid to spend some money. But so so they could, you know, replenish their their club with top free agents, you know, unless you are really concerned with them be turning into like the Texas Rangers, where it's like you have a six hundred million dollar middle infield and then a replacement level team around them, which is not necessarily true, but here we are. Uh so I, I don't think that I don't think that they can they can't rush it and they can't screw it up. And and to your point, I, I just don't think that the Blue Jays have the talent. The, the team that I've seen people talk about a lot is the Cardinals. The Cardinals have the ability to like trade young cost, you know, cost uh, pre-arb everyday players as well as prospects, as well as eating money to make it happen. Um, which I don't know that again, the who among the Blue Jays fits that mold, and it's Kirk. Kirk is the only one who's young and an everyday player and good and the kind of person you could have headline, but not be the central part of the deal. It would take, you know, maybe you take Moreno out and you put Kirk in and then you add X, Y, Z and you take back Corbin's money and you take back something else. I mean, there's not really a lot of other money on the but national I don't, sports. I don't know that the Blue Jays have that much money to spare either because they, if they're not sending Vlad and Bo in a deal, then they've got to pay up for them eventually. And, and, and you got to pay Soto if you and, are acquiring yeah, him. Yeah, if you, if you want to, um, yeah, if you're requiring him and then if you want any chance of him staying, which I don't think you would. I think if you're trading him for him, you would just assume that you're getting him for the two seasons and then you just hope that you get it done and maybe, and then he goes to the open market and he signs wherever he wants. So it's not like if you traded for Juan Soto, you're saying, and we have to extend him. Um, but also there's other guys like Alec Manoa, like he's more years away mm -hmm. from coming up, but he might start getting mm -hmm. expensive in arbitration when that comes up for him. And um, there's the Blue Jays. Uh, they can spend like a big market team, but they also have to um, start winning for that spending to continue um mm -hmm. so there's just a lot of um you know i don't think it makes sense for the blue Jays to do it now because i 
I mean, I think that they would just need, um, they just need other parts of their roster. They need fixes at their other parts of the roster that if they were to trade for Juan Soto, like they couldn't do anything else. And like, as much as I get that he would be sort of the perfect fit for this team, especially in the lineup, what he does, um, the handedness, all that kind of stuff that is not going to fix the bullpen. Um, and it's not going to give you some depth at the rotation. So, uh, and again, like it's, the Jays farm system, while like good and respectable, it's not like the Dodgers. Um, and it's not like some of the other teams that have more, um, more available there. So I just really can't wrap my, it's fun to imagine. It's fun to like put trade packages together and it's fun to say, what if, what if, what if, because again, he would be a perfect fit. Um, but I just don't see it happening. I would agree. I think it is a huge, it, it's it's just too big. But the other side of that, the other, the, I don't know if even devil's advocacy place is what I would think is that you can't be too big. Otherwise they'll not, they won't trade it, which I, they could entirely be comfortable with. But if they're going to make a move, they have to make a move at some point. And while they can value him at a certain level, if there's nobody willing to meet it, then they don't have a trade to make. Then it, then it needs time for adjustment and and it's similar but different i think even to the idea that i have obviously hung on to quite a bit which is the idea of the angels trading shohei otani um, which again a perfect fit for the blue jays but i unlike soto and the nationals i cannot you know i've I've spent obviously a lot of time thinking about this i can't imagine a world where the angels trade him I, i i don't know how you do it how do you soto is bad enough but how do you, if you were a team and you like, we had to trade Shohei Otani, it's like fold your team up, fold them, sell them, just pretend like this, like scorch the earth, blow the stadium up, shoot it into space. You can't, you can't go on. You can't live if that's, if that's how you've, how you've had, uh, how you've had to act as a team. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is meme mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Juan Soto or not, we can look ahead a little bit to the second half of the season. We can, we've talked a little bit about uh, where they sit, obviously coming out 
with three of four from Kansas City. It's a great place to finish the first half. Do you think, Caitlin, that the Blue Jays are going to continue to play good enough baseball to hold off some of the hard-charging Orioles and, and, and Mariners and maybe keep distance between the slightly fading Red Sox and the injury-depleted Rays and find themselves in a playoff position come the end of September? Well, they, I mean, the, the Mariners have surpassed them. They finished mm-hmm. the first half of 51 wins and the Blue Jays finished with 50 wins. Um, but the Blue Jays um, are, I think I use the word firmly, uh, firmly in the third playoff uh, position in the American League. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Red Sox were fading quite a bit. They've talk about injury depleted, like they're quite injury depleted. And obviously they just suffered another one with that gruesome <laughs> injury to Chris Sale. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but uh, pretty gross. gross, pretty gross to see the finger bending away that is not supposed to bend. Um, and so that's a tough, uh, you know, tough loss for them. And they have been, you know, it's funny, like these, all these teams, um, they've just almost been like mirrors of each other in some ways in terms of not necessarily like what's causing their inconsistency. Um, but just that the fact that they are so inconsistent, I mean, like the Mariners have been playing great baseball lately. Obviously they've won 14 games in a row, I believe. Um, and, but they were not doing well in May. Like they were, they had a really bad month in May and the start of June. And then they kind of picked it up um, mid June and have been basically on a roll ever since the Rays have been kind of running hot and cold. They kind of lose, they can lose a series and then they can come back and they can win a series. They have had a ton of injuries, but the race, I don't know. This is like kind of par for the They're course the of them a little bit. Yeah. Like they know how to weather injuries. What? They, what can you say? Yeah. So I, I don't think that they are the threat, the powerhouse, um, that they have been in the years past. Um, I think the Blue Jays had things unfolded differently the last time they played them, namely Kevin Gosman not being, not getting hit with a comebacker that kind of started to mm-hmm. derail that entire weekend. I think that series could have been different, honestly. Um, I could have more easily seen the Blue Jays taking three of five as opposed to just winning the two, um, or at least three of five, I guess. Um, so I would say... You know, the Blue Jays, I still kind of like the makeup of their team and the potential of their team. And I think there's more upside with them, um, especially compared to uh, the Rays and um, the Red Sox, which I think is a little bit more important because they just have more opportunity to play against them, distance themselves from them, as opposed to like they're done with the Mariners now. And so the Mariners, like you assume they're going to slow down at some point, but Blue Jays kind of lost their opportunity to, um, you, you know, distance themselves from the Mariners or, or, you know, win that series. Like that's kind of come and gone. And so at this point, you just kind of have to watch the Mariners. You assume that they're going to slow down. I think when they come back from the break, they have a harder schedule. They play the Astros um, for two series, I think, and they play the Yankees um, as well for two series. So uh, you would maybe assume that they're going to slow down at some point. Um so the Blue Jays, I, I don't know. That Boston series after the break seems big to me. Um, you have Boston that is going to um, have a bit of time, I guess, to rest all their guys. Um, same with to the Jays, re- obviously. reassemble their fingers into one piece. <laughs> yeah, but 
I think the Blue Jays, the, the key for the Blue Jays, and I talked to David Phelps, one of the relievers on the team, um, and he kind of said, and this was, you know, one of the things that like was their sort of priority early on or one of the sort of like focal points of the team was like, let's go in and win every series. Like you take it day by day, come out winners. Mm-hmm. And we've said that um, on this podcast a lot. Like if you're going in and you're winning every series, you're going to be better um, for it. And you're going to come out basically every week um, in the positives. You're going to be two games up. Uh, above 500 every week. And then if you just keep in doing that, you're just, it takes care of itself more or less. And so um, basically not that they intentionally like got away, not that they were like, you know, let's start losing some series. Like they didn't do it on purpose, but obviously they did start losing some series and they just did not have that consistency at all. Um, and so honestly, the, the thing that I would highlight for the Jays in the second half, when I say the most important is just just consistent play. And, and, and it's going to come from all aspects of the roster. You're going to need, you're going to not want, and you're, you're, you can't have, I should say, I guess these wild swings in performance, which is what we saw a little bit in the first half where you would just have, you know, a rotation that would be excellent for a bit. And then it would just like run into, you know, a really, really bad week. And you can have bad weeks, but you can't have these like colossal weeks where it's like, you know, Barrios and, and uh, Kikuchi are giving you like one inning each or two innings each. And you're just, your whole rotation and bullpen are falling apart because of that. You can't have that anymore in the second half. Um, mm. You know, you, you have to have the offense performing as they should. I'm not saying they have to score 14 runs every game, but you're going to need a little bit more from guys at the top of the order. I think Teoscar was coming along. Um, you're still looking for a little bit more from Bichette uh, or a lot more from Bichette, however you want to look at it. Um, you're still looking for a little bit or a lot more from Vlad. Um, you're still looking for some, you know, Springer. I think the break will be good for Springer. Obviously he's not playing in the all-star game, which is probably a wise decision on his behalf. Um, so yeah, you're going to need just more, more consistency, not these like wild swings of good and bad performance um, happening from week to week, from month to month. They, um, and I think, like I said, if you're going to take some positives, the bullpen ended strong, the first end of the first half strong. I think the starting rotation under the first half strong. Um, you still need to figure out what you have in Kikuchi. You need to figure that out. Um, but you're liking the way that Barrios is pitching now. I think that it's been a few starts now in a row. And even I think there was those two bad ones against Milwaukee and was it Chicago? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, if you throw those away, like you're, and I, I, I hate to do this because like, you can't throw those away. They happen. but. <laughs> um, if you do, then he he has looked a lot better in the last couple of months. Um, but yeah, like it's just to me, it's it's the uh, just playing a little bit more consistently and sharper, and not making those sloppy mistakes, and focusing more, and getting those big hits, and you know all that kind of stuff. I think they're going to score. They're going to continue to score runs, and they're going to score more runs. We've seen them over the last month or so. Uh, to your point, Springer and Vlad have a lot more to give as does as does Bo Bichette. I think that having Danny Jansen healthier will healthy will help to keep uh, Alejandro Kirk fresh. Uh, the ability to kind of give him some rest, keep him going at a high level is good. Um, you, you, Guriel and uh, Teoscar Hernandez have both been really have been great um, the last few weeks in particular, uh, which is good because now it allows them to use Randall Tapia in a really like effective way because uh, mm-hmm. Tapia has been great as well. You know, uh, just getting lots of hits, you know, not, he hasn't drawn a walk in two weeks, but it doesn't matter. He's getting on base. He's, he's doing 
you know, the things that, that he is capable of doing. They're putting him, as I've said a couple of times today, in a position to succeed. Same thing with Biggio and, um, and, and Santiago, Santiago Espinal, which I'll save the Biggio thing for another day, but they've both been bad of late. And, and, you know, Biggio or Santiago Espinal is such terrific defensive player kind of glosses you know you don't even need for him to be that good but when you can again continue to put players like those two and Tapia and even Bradley Zimmer you know he's going to get a start here and there and that's probably fine especially if the rest of the Blue Jays are able to deliver on who they are what they can do well I think as far as the American League kind of layout goes um yeah, the Mariners aren't going to play as well as they have been. I think they're like 23 and seven in their last in 30 games. But my concern, such as it is with the Mariners, is that bad teams don't win 14 games in a row. Oh, I like think mediocre they're good. teams don't don't win 14 games in a row. They're good, right? Yeah. And the that the Blue Jays don't have to play them head to head is good, but I think that expecting them to go back to which I you didn't do expecting them to go back to being as bad as they were for the first like two months of the season is probably wishful thinking on Blue Jays fans' parts. I was just hoping the Mariners are going to go away because I no, don't think they, they are. I don't think they are either. I think the Rays, again, I, I there's a big, huge part of me that's personally invested in the idea that the Rays could go away and just start being bad. I, it's not going to happen. The Red Sox could go either way. Honest to God, I don't. You're The Red Sox are as much of a mystery as any team mm-hmm. because they can obviously score lots of runs, but they sure have a lot of bad players. But then they also have a lot of good play. I, I can't even with the Red Sox. I don't even want to think about it. The Yankees aren't going to be as good as in the second half as they are. We're in the first. We've seen them already start to give some games back um, when they aren't playing the Red Sox, of course. So I don't know. It's it's going to be wild, but I think the Blue Jays are going to be right there in it. I think that that the thing that we haven't seen from the Blue Jays really for more than like a few days at a time is all the facets of the team kind of clicking at the same time coming together and all of them playing well. And if, and just a couple weeks of that, well, even just visually, a, it'll be good for the results and B it'll be good to see it. And then be like, okay, that's what this team is. And then a couple upgrades can really hopefully send them uh, to another level. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying the blue Jays need to win 14 games in a row, like the Mariners wouldn't hurt, (laughs) but no. Yeah. But, but, but I do think that um, they, are kind of in need of a run like that. Maybe it's not in a row, but maybe it's winning nine of their last 10 or eight of their last 10. Um, obviously they've won five of their last six um, recently. So come out of the break mm-hmm. and kind of keep that up. So if it's taking the series in Boston and then coming back home, I think then they play St. Louis um, and I'm not sure who's after that, but uh, they have a lot of series um, that they're going to have to sort of take care of. Um, but they could use a very sort of like convincing winning streak or at least, uh, like winning, like run, uh, whether it's, as I say, like winning three series in a row, um, or four series in a row, just kind of going on this kind of run. Like they did in April, um, wasn't sort of like convincing all aspects of the roster, but they were doing it. Um, and they kind of lost the plot a little bit in May and June, they started off strong and then kind of came together or came apart, I guess, um, at the end of the month. And so they just need, I think that it wouldn't hurt also if they went um, and they won eight in a row or they won nine in a row. Because what that does is that it just, it, it it usually gives you somewhat of a cushion because 
especially if it's, if you're winning against the Red Sox and you're just automatically separating, if they come out and they win three against Red Sox, well, now they're three games ahead of the Red Sox, which would be five games, I think, because they're two games up on them now. That just gives you a nice little cushion. It's not, it doesn't mean the Red Sox can't come back and it doesn't mean the Blue Jays can't fall back, but uh, you, if you can exit a series five games up, as opposed to like one or one and a half, like you just, you just, you breathe a little bit, I think. And this Blue Jays team would benefit, I think, from giving themselves some breathing room because they just have not had that. And I think maybe they expected to have that a little bit. I think um, the season hasn't gone the way they wanted it to. And I think sometimes when that happens, things can unravel a little bit. Maybe you have some self-doubt. There was obviously, um, you know, things obviously weren't um, working well enough within um, the clubhouse dynamics and, um, you know, at that level that they obviously needed to make a, a manager change. Uh, the front office believed that that was uh, that needed to happen. Um, and so, you know, they, now they've, they've done that and they've changed course. They've, um, you know, given the reins to John Schneider um, and they sort of then just need to fulfill that potential that they obviously have. And I think that was sort of the message that John Schneider left us with is like, you know, they're happy that they've ended this first half on a winning note, um, you, you know, winning three games in a row um, to go into the break, but they know they can be better in basically every aspect of the roster. And I think they also need to be better <laughs> at the same time. That has just been the missing ingredient. I think they need to, mm-hmm. as you say, yeah. as you say, have a run of games where you're looking like this is at sort of like peak a level of this team. Like this is when they are playing their best, they are doing this day in and day out. Um, and that's what this, what's been missing lately. Um, maybe they were doing that a little bit against the Royals. Although again, the competition there um, and they probably weren't scoring maybe enough runs um, as you would like them to see. Um, but, but uh, yeah, that's, I, I would say that what that's what needs to happen in the second half is this some sustained winning. One thing I will say about that Royals series is number one, you don't get to pick who you play against and the wins all count the same. Exactly. And the Lutis play in a very, very difficult division. So the fact that they had a quote unquote advantage against a depleted Royals team I'm not so worried about it. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at, at, at the fact that 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 the the Blue Jays don't have a, the same kind of soft spots in their schedules. But the thing that got me thinking was that rally, the come from behind rally on Saturday against Joel Pyant, who's a legitimate big leaguer. Joel Pyant isn't a guy who came up out of the woods from they didn't call him up from single A or anything like that. He's a legit big leaguer, as Blue Jays fans know. He used to be a Blue Jay. But it was the way that they did that. It wasn't as Blue Jay-ish as we've seen. It wasn't just like somebody got on and somebody had a home run. It was good at bats. Not all balls were scalded through, but but even though they were, the ball that Teoscar Hernandez hit that sort of bounced through and Bobby Witt Jr. barely got a, a touch to it, that ball was hit like 103 miles an hour. So if it's not hit hard, if it's not Teoscar Hernandez doing what Teoscar Hernandez does, that ball doesn't get through. Mm-hmm. Tapia coming in, having, having a good at bat. Vlad Jr. hitting the ball so unbelievably hard that like a good, you know, young and inexperienced center fielder just did not expect it to carry like it did. Even that he wasn't going to get to it. It was hit. It was hit to the base of the wall. But that style of a rally, the ability to string together good at bats, string together hits, not just waiting and relying heavily on the three run home run. Um, that to me is a nice indicator of the team that's capable of doing things in more than one way and beating teams in, in you know, even though Pimes didn't really have it. Saturday, to me, I think that can be that sort of thing where it's like, 
we could beat you any different, any number of ways. Yeah. I think that's where the Blue Jays need to be. If you, and if you want to do, as you said, go on a win eight games in a row or nine games in a row, for me, it's like win 22 games out of 30, win yeah. 23 games out of 30. Do that um, by and be by being able to be flexible, by being able to be aggressive when it needs to be, you know, with the running bases, being able to get good performances from your bullpen, you know, that Jordan Romano giving up the home run notwithstanding, uh, being able to score with the home run, being able to score with a bunch of singles and with aggressive base running. That's what good teams do. And the Lydia's are a good team. They just need to be able to show themselves and the rest of the league that, as you, as we said, when they are right, they're as good as anybody. So they have lots of opportunity. And the other thing they don't have are any excuses anymore. Uh, they don't have a manager that they can kick around. They don't have, uh, you know, this, that, or the other. They have, they don't have to worry about not having to whine about playing in Buffalo or in Tan- or in Dunedin, wherever. It's all in front of them. Go win some games and uh, get to the playoffs. That's pretty much it. That's it for this edition of SpinRate, I think, actually, as well, which, of course, you can get anywhere you get your podcast. You can subscribe to the show. You should subscribe to The Athletic. If you don't, you get an ad-free version of the show. Subscribe at theathletic.com slash spinrate. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. I expect to see lots of exciting things. Busy week for you. No rest. No rest. As Blue Jays are making draft picks and sending guys to the All-Star game and firing managers and doing all sorts of stuff. So head over to The Athletic. Subscribe if you haven't already. Get everything that Caitlin's got to say this week. Read what Keith Law has to say about the draft picks as well. And keep listening to Spin. We'll be back. Later this week with another episode. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.